All right, good morning, everybody. Please turn your Bibles to First Chronicles uh, 16 and 17 today is what we're going to get to. Beautiful time where David writes a beautiful psalm to God after all that he's done for him and then also uh, able to receive God's grace with grace. Not as easy as it sounds. Today, after second service at 2 o'clock, we'll be meeting at Mazingo Beach for baptisms, last one of the year. So if you want to be baptized, come on out, or you have friends or family that want to return to the Lord. That's, uh, we live in interesting times. Um, have them come on out. I don't need to know them. They just need to know God. It's between them and the Lord. So we'll be doing that publicly today at 2. And if you can be out there, that'd be great also to support these folks um, as, uh, as they surrender their lives to Jesus and, and uh, show the world. So 2 o'clock today at Mazingo Beach. Also, for those of you signed up for that Young Eagles flying thing that I sent out, the flyers are up here. You have to fill this out or your kid can't go up. So, um, and if you're interested, all the slots are filled. So I guess it's a moot point as far as advertising it. But there were only 10 slots and they went pretty quick. Anyway, those are up there. You can grab one and fill those out and make sure you just bring them to the airport that day. That's uh, the 28th at uh, 5.45 p.m. Um, so let's pray and we'll get into God's word. Lord, we thank you for letting us get here and hang out and worship you and sing these beautiful songs to you to remind ourselves of all that you've done for us. It's just what David does here today in his 16th chapter here. Um, what a beautiful thing it is to sing of the things you've done, are doing, and will do for us. And um, We thank you for this time we've had. And we pray for the Sunday school ministry as the teachers are pouring out your love and truth into these little ones that you'd bless them and bless that ministry in Jesus name. Amen. Chapter 16 is a wonderful break, a wonderful time. I needed it for study time. So I'm sure that we'll all benefit from it in the sense that um, you kind of go through what God gives you as you go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation you teach on what's in front of you. You don't have to bring up points or have to do topicals. God will cover everything eventually. And so today is, is a, just a time of worship, a time of thanksgiving for all that he's done. And that just happens to be where we are in 16 and 17. David's had a rough four months, three to four months here. Uh, he's been established as the ruler of Israel finally after running from Saul for so many years and Saul's been taken out by the Lord. He's he's dead. Um, the the anointing that happened early on in David's life has been uh, reenacted, and they've anointed David, and he's king, and he's excited. Let's bring back the Ark of God. Well, he doesn't do it the way God asked him to, the way God prescribed for the Ark to be carried. He did it his own way. He got excited. Things are going well, and uh, he made a command decision, a call, which he's been doing. Since he's been in the wilderness, you can't fault him for that. It's hard to break those cycles, to get out of that mindset. You've been making these calls. You've been doing these things. You've been making snap judgments, and not always Holy Spirit-led snap judgments. But this one he did, and got one of his main guys killed, and David kind of was upset with that. Had a little pouting fest, and parked the Ark of God into a friend's house, and says, fine, then I'm not going to carry it any further. He says he was angry with the Lord. He didn't understand why he had got all the musicians together. He had gotten a great parade going. He got a new cart. It wasn't some old scrappy cart. And still, it didn't go the way he had planned on going. And, and that was his lesson that he needed to learn. 
that you don't get to worship God the way you choose to worship God. It's the way he wants to be worshiped. It's his heart that matters. David was on the mindset, and although he wouldn't probably say it out loud, his mindset was, can I get a little acknowledgement here from worshiping you? I mean, look what we're doing here. We had this great parade. I got a new cart. We're bringing back your chair, finally. I mean, things are clicking here, God, and you go ahead and kill one of my guys. He gets upset because he doesn't get acknowledged the way he thought he should be acknowledged. And so he parks the cart, leaves it there, and he's mad at God. So he, as a king, as a man, as a warrior, he's pouting. It's kind of embarrassing to watch, but it can happen. Well, leaving the cart aside, he decides to do some battles, but before he does the battles, he decides to inquire of the Lord, should I or should I not go up? And God spoke to him and says, I want you to go up. This is right after this crazy king that nobody really knows much about. King of Tyre decides to send David uh, a prefab home kit. Sends down the logs, sends down all the materials and the workmen, and builds him a house. And that kind of encouraged David that maybe God wasn't going to throw him out and wasn't done with him already like he was done with Saul. So he asked God, should we go up to fight? And God says, yeah, you should go up to fight. Well, that means he's hearing from the Lord. That was a big deal. For us, it's no big deal. But for David, that was a big deal. God actually answered my prayer and said that I'm supposed to go up against these Philistines. It's okay to, to hear that from the Lord and to receive that from him. What a blessing to know that God's not broken communication with So David's feeling better. Well, they finally got it right. He finally inquired of the Lord and figured out how to bring the the ark back, and that's to be carried on the shoulders of the priest as described in Leviticus. This is how you do it. You don't put it on a new cart. You don't do it this way, that way. You got to do it the way I said. And there's a reason for that. It's not that God's picky or anything like that. He is separating himself and always is trying to separate himself from the gods of this world. The idols of this world, the other insignificant man-made gods that people build are fashioned by the man or the woman out of wood, stone, precious metals, whatever it may be. They fashion and make this thing out to look like they wanted to. They put it and make an altar the way they want to do it. And then they begin to worship it the way they feel like wanting. And by the time they're done, they feel so good about themselves because they've worshiped, well, what? Well, a god. But... It satisfied them. God says, that's not me. You never created me. I created you. Everyone in this room is an instrument of worship. That's what you were. If you didn't know what you were made to do, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm born. I don't know why I exist. You're created for one purpose, and that's to worship the true and living God. You have hands designed to clap, to raise up before the true and living God. You have a mouth that should be speaking praises and songs and hymns and spiritual songs, worshiping God, telling people about him and the wondrous works that he's done for you and what he wants to do for them. That's what our mouths are for. We have ears to receive from God. We can hear from the Lord. He's designed us for that. So God says, why don't you worship me the way I designed you to worship? I wasn't made. I told you how to set up the altar. I told you how I wanted to be worshipped because I'm a person. I'm not a thing. 
And so he's constantly trying to distinguish himself from what we think or the world thinks are God's and himself. And we're completely different. He's nothing like that kind of person or that kind of idol over there. And so David figures it out. And they dance before the Lord and they worship before God. And they're having this beautiful time. And they finally set the ark where it's supposed to in the tabernacle, the tent, you know, that God had just, you know, designed himself and had them build for him. And it's sitting there and they come inside and his wife, of course, David's wife, Michael, thought that he was very undignified in the way that he worshiped. That wasn't kingly, wasn't royalty in action, you know, disappointed. David doesn't care. David says, that's okay to despise. I don't care if you despise me in your heart, honey. All I care is if God, what does he think? That's all that matters. And so that's where we pick up today in chapter 16. It's, it's, it's all happened the way it's supposed to. David's done pouting. He's worshiped God the way God's prescribed him to worship. And it's worked out really, really well. It's beautiful. And so he decides to write a song. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Not exactly our kind of party food, but that's basically what this is. It's a party. We had out a piece of cake and, and maybe a glass of punch and and a hot dog or a hamburger or something and enjoy. And that's the idea. It's a feast. It's a, it's a time to remember what God's done and to just hang out together before everybody goes home. Now the ark is sitting here. Let's not all forget this. David says, let's just eat together, hang out, have a party. And they do. It's a beautiful thing to commemorate something like that, to want it to last a little bit longer. And, and God doesn't fault him for that. God doesn't say, you know, that's too much food. That sets you, you know, there are people starving all over the world, and there you are with this giant feast. They're called feasts for a reason. It's to be a feast. It's to be a, I can't eat anymore. It's, it's overflowing. It's too much. It's just an abundance. Exactly. Because it's supposed to remind us of God towards us. It's an abundance. It's too much. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. This is way beyond. Exactly. That's why Thanksgiving is the way it is. That's why Christmas is the way it is, or however you celebrate and whatever you celebrate as unto the Lord, let it be a feast. And you don't have to be guilty about it. You can enjoy the feast. God gives it to us and adds no sorrow to those kind of things. It's my prescription, God says. Do this. His feast lasts way longer than ours. Seven days at a time, they don't do anything but eat and sleep and celebrate, you know? That'd be all right. Seven days, they have a great time. So David does this and distributes, but he can only do that after he himself has worshiped the Lord. I can't give you bread and I can't give you raisin cakes and I can't do for you what I want to do for you until I've done what I need to do before the Lord. I need to get right before God. I need to be at his altar. I need to offer up my sacrifices of praise. And and the the fruit of that time with God ends up being this beautiful time with the people. That's the same for all of us. I cannot be a blessing to my family if I haven't served God and worshiped God and done what I've been created to do, which is to be an instrument of worship of his. 
And then I can do that for other people. And it's not one of those that don't, <laughs> soapbox time. Uh, do not confuse this with me time. That's the world. I just need some me time. No, no. This is God time. This is different. This isn't, I got to take care of my needs before I can meet your needs. No, no. This is me getting my heart and mind right so that when I do try to minister to you, it's in a godly way and not in a worldly fleshy way. You see, if I sit around eating chocolate and having whatever me time includes, um, that's not spiritual. That doesn't get your heart right. That doesn't get you where you need to be so you can be a blessing spiritually to people. We, we got enough of the world that tells us how we got Oprah for that. She can tell us how to take care of those things. We don't, sorry, too fine a point. No, we need Jesus. I need to be on my knees, not whipping myself and beating myself, but truly worshiping him like David's about to do in this song, giving him glory, reminding myself of the things he's done for me and the things he wants to do for me. Those are the things I need to do to get my heart and mind. I need to get into reality. See, this chapter 16 and 17 is reality. This is the truth. I'm an instrument of worship, and I will be worshiping forever. Anything I do on this earth other than worshiping God is temporary. It's false. It's worldly. It's just something you, some of us just have to do to get by. But when I'm in heaven, I'll never do those things again. The only thing I take with me to heaven is my adoration and worship of Jesus. That's all I do for the rest of eternity. It isn't my skill sets that I perfect down here or my people skills or whatever it is that we busy ourselves with down here that can take away from the reality of chapter 16 and 17, worshiping God. That's what I need to perfect. That's what I want to practice I don't want to be the only dope up there when they're singing songs in the book of Revelation. I don't know the words, you know, oh, holy, three times holy, 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 you know. Oh, I did it once. I blew it too soon on the chorus. I didn't come in at the right time on the practice. David practiced. His whole life was a practice. He lived it. So he's able to minister and serve the Lord, and now he's able to be a blessing to the people. Verse 4, and he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. Hey, you guys do this. To commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Three great things to do. Commemorate all the things he's done. Thank him for all the things he's done. And praise him. Asaph, the chief. And next to him, Zechariah. Then uh, J.E.L. And pronunciation escapes me for the rest of these guys. But these guys with stringed instruments and harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals. He's the loud one. He's the guy banging on the drums, you know, over there. I love it. Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So there they are. They're still doing it and singing. And David writes this song and hands it to the worship leader, Asaph. He says, here, do this. On the day that David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph, his brethren, to thank the Lord, here's the song. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. 
Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord with his, in his strength. Seek his face evermore. David's songs had a lot of doctrine in them. Things you ought to be doing, he says. Things to remind yourself to do. I like singing these songs. You know, I'm not here for blessing. I love that line. You don't owe me anything. It's good to remind myself of that. I, you know, when we sing that out loud, God's not going, hey, that's really snappy. You know, no, he's saying, did you hear it? Did you hear it come out of your mouth? I, that's, anybody ever read out loud to themselves? That's the only way I can retain. You got to be out of the room and I got to read out loud and then my mouth has to say it and I have to hear it like I'm being taught by myself. It's bizarre, but that's how I learn. And when I sing songs to God like that, I'm not here for blessing. Oh, yeah, I'm not here for blessing. <laughs> you have to remind myself. You don't owe me anything. Oh, yeah, you don't owe me anything. You know, it's this bizarre conversation that goes on in my head, but it's so good for me. What could you possibly add to salvation from hell? A better car? Okay. You know, a better relationship with this person or that person? All right. I mean, maybe. God doesn't mind us talking about those things and ask, but man, it is nice to have these moments where you're just not doing that and you're just praising him for what he has done. Thanking him for what he is doing and, and what he promises he will do for us later on. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. The people need to know. They need to hear what God has done for you and what he's done for me. That's some of the most powerful witnessing you could ever do. It isn't about anything but really telling people what he's done for you already. He's done this for me. I mean, you eventually want to tell them that they can do it for them too. But you hopefully they pick up on that. But just to describe the things, and it's good for you to hear again from your own mouth what he's done for you. Bible says, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord with his strength. Seek his face evermore. Seek his face. It's kind of a weird word. We don't usually use that term. Seek his face, except when it comes to God. And I likened it to Jenny on the first service. I'll do it again, even though she hates it when she makes the sermons. Sorry. But whenever we have a conversation together, that's my wife, Jenny, at 26 years, she has this thing. She probably doesn't know she does it. She'll hear it this morning. Um, but when I'm talking or when we're going back and forth, her, her eyes, they just, they scan my face. She's looking at every little movement. She's just doing this. Just, I'm, just, I'm being analyzed, you know, basically. She's trying to pick up on all the nonverbal signals. What's your intent? What's your heart? What, all these things. Trying to gain, because I'm not a very good communicator, obviously. But, um, but she's trying to figure it out, seeking my face. I, that's, how, that's how I liken it. And when I look at Jesus, I want to be like that with him. I want to pick up on all the, I want to pick up on everything, you know? I go through the Bible many times, and many of you guys have too. You read through it, and you read through it. And you know most of the stories. And, but, you know, is that story about a little boy throwing a rock at a giant's head Really? Is that all it's about, or is there more to it than that? And that's seeking his face. What do you mean by that? Some of the smaller stories, like the, the axe head, you know, that the guy loses and, and, and the prophet makes it float. Well, there's so many things happening in that chapter. It's easy to go through and say, yeah, and he lost his axe head, and he made it float, and they moved on. No, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. I want to seek his face on that one a little bit. Here's this prophet who's swinging away with a borrowed axe, and oh, you know, there goes the axe head. That guy's going to kill me. Prophet, he's going to kill me. Where'd you leave it last? It's over in the deep. Mm, and it floats. 
and the guy reaches out and picks it up. And then what happened? I want to know what happened. Then they all stare at it for a while going, it's still heavy, you know, or it's super light, or I don't know what happened or what. I want to seek his face. Did they, did they stop working or did he just stick it back on and they went back to chopping wood or did they sit there for a while and kind of stare at the prophet going, dude, that was incredible, you know? I want to take the time with the Lord and seek his face on these things. And David encourages us in this song, seek the Lord, seek the Lord with his, and his strength, seek his face evermore. Don't ever stop looking at him. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Oh, seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he had made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. When you were few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it. Long before you were the nation you are today, God had promised Abraham that you were going to have this land. You were just a thought. You hadn't even been birthed as a nation yet. But God promised you those things. Remind yourself of those things. I was just a thought in Abraham's mind. I was in the loins of Abraham, in the loins of Isaac, and not until Jacob did anything happen. I mean, we're talking a couple generations ahead of time he decides to promise. And if there's a God who can do that, what am I worried about? That's to remind us of these things. Get our minds thinking the right way. When they went from one nation to another, verse 20, and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do, him, to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. He's always been our protector. Sing to the Lord. All the earth proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the peoples. I want the world to know what he's done. David says we need to let the world know what he's done. Guys, it's always been this way, but I think you're going to see it more and more as the days get more and more evil, which they will. But the only truth, the only time people are going to hear the truth is out of the Christian's mouth. There is no truth outside of this. And if I'm not opening my mouth talking about his glories and things he's done, the world's not going to hear it. Now the Holy Spirit is among us and comes alongside each of us, convicting us of our need for Jesus. That's for sure. He's, a, he's that witness. He's always doing that. Jesus said so. But I'm called to sing the praise. I've been designed that way. I'm the one with the mouth now. I'm the one that's supposed to be filled with the Spirit, singing and telling everybody about the glories of God and the wonders and his judgments and everything. I get to tell them all those things about him that the world might know. Called to that. I need to open my mouth. If I don't, well, remember what happened when the religious rulers told the everybody, tell the guys to be quiet. Jesus was coming in on the donkey and the religious rulers said, tell your people to pipe down. He says, if I tell them to, well, this is paraphrase, um, if I tell them to pipe down, the very stones are going to cry out. And that's great and all, and we think that's neat. Of course, all of us got these funny Muppet pictures in our minds of these rocks, you know, doing this thing. And the point is, which is a really neat geological study on that, by the way, that rocks retain everything they ever, all the sound waves ever, ever around them. 
it's true. Um, anyway, it's a whole other study by itself. It's amazing how what he said is actually true. They would cry out. Um, they've been around forever and they've, they've retained every sound wave, but let's not let it get to that point to where the rocks have to do our job for us. You know, he wants us to cry out. He wants us to sing out. He wants us to declare it. And David said, so sing this song about the Lord for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. And we spoke on that on Wednesday. You can listen to it. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. And there's a little one by that word idol. And in your center column reference, if you have a study Bible, it'll say worthless thing. That's probably a better translation. I like that better. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless things. They're just pieces of wood carved. They're just uh, pieces of gold or whatever, but they're worthless. There's no value to them at all. All the gods of the people. God trying to separate himself from all those False gods. But the Lord made the heavens. You made the idols, but God made everything else. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It's the second time he's brought up holiness so far. Holiness is a beautiful thing. A wonderful thing. We should never apologize for God's holiness to make him more palatable to the world. I think we do that sometimes. God's holiness is our goal. It's beautiful. It's meant to be admired and being holy for he is holy. It should be a, a mark of who we are. I want more holiness, not less. I don't want to be okay with who I am the way I am. I'm accepted. I know that. Jesus' grace is, is grace. It's not earned. But I still want to be holy because he's holy. If I'm being conformed into the image of Jesus, I don't want to stop being conformed into the image of Jesus. And so I want to keep going with him because it's a beautiful thing to see holiness in the Lord. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. Even the trees are joining in just like the rocks were. In fact, one prophet says that the trees are going to clap their hands. Yeah. I love these pictures. I got something in my head that's probably not exactly how it's going to look, but you <laughs> got the Muppet rocks and the trees doing this, but I'm sure it means something else. But all creation's excited for him. We best get on board as his created beings for worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, thank goodness for his mercy. And say, Part of your song, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. So they sang that song. They're all picking up the tune and they're all having the raisin cakes and their bread and their cake and punch and hot dogs and, well, probably not hot dogs, but, you know, burgers, kosher burgers. 
enjoying themselves, singing songs together. And the reason we sing a song, there's a difference between your turn to pray, my turn to pray, your turn to pray, all wonderful and very important for us to do. But when we all sing the same words together, that, that's unity. That's the idea. We all acknowledge who he is, what he's done, and we're on the same page. And so we say the words at the exact same time because it's to be agreed upon. It is. And so these songs bring everybody together. We all agree that God is holy and his holiness is to be praised and so on. So verse 37, he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly. You guys stay here going home, but you guys got a job to do. Keep singing as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of uh, Jedithun, and Hosa to be gatekeepers. They were going to be gatekeepers. And Zadok, uh, the priest, and his brethren, the priest, before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was in Gibeon, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offerings regularly, morning and evening, so there would be smoke continually going up that the people could see. And to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, uh, which he commanded uh, Israel. And with them, uh, Heman, or Heman, and uh, Jedithan and the rest who were uh, chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. And with these two guys, I'm not going to butcher their names anymore, to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and musical instruments of God. Um, now the sons of Jedithan were gatekeepers. Then all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Great day, great feast, great song time, great fellowship, great food. Man, what a day. Everybody went home. Oh, man, I couldn't eat another bite. And so they're sitting there at their house, and Nathan's sitting with David, and they're thinking about it, and I don't know exactly what's going on, but they're together, and Nathan doesn't have a word from the Lord for David, so he's just hanging out to hang out, you know. And they're sitting there talking about the day, and this is what happens. Now, it came to pass... When David was dwelling in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. That's that gift from the king of Tyre. Remember that prefabbed home? Look at this great house. But the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Now, you know what the implication is there, right? Poor God. Look at this house. He got the tent, you know, kind of thing. Can't let that be. And he's excited, though. Understand that, where he's coming from. David had just, I mean, we got the ark back. We did it right. God is speaking to me. I'm sitting here with my spiritual guy, Nathan, and we're talking about the things, the raising case. I mean, they were really good yesterday, right? Yeah, they were great. Look at that poor house God's living in down there. And Nathan, he's up on it, too, said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Nathan, you don't have that authorization. See, as a prophet of God, you don't get to say what you want to say. You're designed for one purpose, and that's to hear from God and then tell everybody exactly what God said and then hear from the people and tell everything the people said and, and vice versa. That, that's what you do. You get into trouble when you, get, when you put yourself in God's shoes saying, do all that's in your heart for God is with you. In other words, you could do no wrong right now, David. Do it. Build him a house. Now, God's not mad. He doesn't get upset with them, but he isn't going to let it stand either. Because these guys, got to, they're starting to, okay, 
what should it look like? I don't know. Get a piece of paper. Let's draw this thing out. You know, and they start doing their thing or whatever. And God gets a hold of Nathan. And it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant, David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. And that's a rough conversation to have the next day, isn't it? Hey, you, David, you remember when I told you you could do everything you wanted to do? God showed up last night and says, you can't. You can't. And we see in this next verse, the next few verses, the personality of God that you don't find anywhere else in the Bible. And I don't know how to describe it, but just listen to, God actually has this conversation with these two and we get to get some personality from the Lord. Like, you know, so let me read it. Wherever I have moved around or moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? It's a little humor there. There's a little smile on God's face when he says that. You know, as long as I've been walking with you guys and I've been putting you in charge and letting you guide my people around, have I ever stopped you and said, how come I'm not in a house of cedar? No. Did God not design the tent, the tabernacle? Did he not think this is what I want? This is how I want it? I want you to do it just like I said, and they did it, and he was super happy with it, super blessed by it. It's just a tent. There's a reason for that. There's a reason he doesn't want a house of cedar. He's going to let Solomon build the house of cedar. There's a timing issue here. No problem with the idea. It's just not the right time. And David, I never asked you to do it. I want you to do what I asked you to do when I ask you to do it. We get ideas. We get excited when God does something with our lives. And then we get to brainstorming. This is all this is, is a brainstorming session. Wasn't that great? What a men's conference. That was awesome. Let's do another one next weekend. No. <laughs> Let's just do what he told us to do at the men's conference for the next year. And if we get that right, maybe we'll have another, another one next year, you know, but we don't need to keep having them. So they're excited. They brainstorm. They get this idea. And God's like, no, I don't want that. I have an entire book here of stuff that God likes and doesn't like, wants me to learn, wants me to know, wants me to live. I figure when I get all this down and done, I might have a brainstorming session on what else we can do for God. But until I have this all down and I figured all this out and I'm living that life like he wants me to, I better focus on the basics for a while or forever. I never asked you guys to do this. I've never wondered why I'm not in a cedar house. I've always designed this. When I was a kid, maybe you guys, well, everybody had art class, I'm, I'm sure. You all had to make something for your mind. Back in my day, we made ashtrays. Can you imagine making an ashtray in art class today? You know, that's sin, you know, or whatever. No, my mom and dad both, you know, got them and made them an ashtray, you know. And it was a junky ashtray. It looked horrible, you know. I was just bashed a big thing around and, you know, painted it. Oh, and they thought it was the greatest and, you know, and they used it and it was around. And years later, you run across those relics of your love, you know, for your parents or whatever. And they, they left it out on the cot. Well, mine did. And we left it out for everybody to see. And you get older and you look at it and you're like, oh, I am so sorry about that. You know, <laughs> I can't believe you displayed that thing. Uh, <laughs> um, let me take that away. You know, let me, no, 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 no. 
I remember that. I remember everything about it. There's more to it than just that junky ashtray you made, you know. You guys, I designed that tent and you guys made it. You guys did all the stitching on the inside of the Holy of Holies and those shapes and everything. And you guys did the overlayment of gold and you built that out of the gopher wood and you made the, you know, you did all that. You made the poles. You know, I, no, I like it. I like it. Besides that, I need it. The Old Testament is a picture of our New Testament walk with Jesus. What we're witnessing here in the Old Testament, and this is why we study it, is a, a play that's being played out for us to see the reality that's in heaven. Everything in the first five books is a mock-up of heaven. I want you to make my chair. I'm not going to bring my chair from heaven down here, but I'm going to make you look. This is what it looks like. And it's going to have a mercy seat. And it's going to have the angels. And they're not going to be the actual angels, but they're going to be replicas of the angels. Everything, the tab- everything's going to look like I want it to. And it's going to be a tabernacle. I want it to be a tent. Later on, we'll build a house. But for now, it's a tent. Can you guess why? Well, John, the first chapter tells us why. The gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And he tab- and the word tabernacled among us, among us, tabernacled. It says he dwelt among us. Jesus dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacled. There's a reason. It was temporary. It was a tent. Uh, it, 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 he died. It went away. And he went to prepare a place for us. And then he's going to take us to that place. And that's the permanent place. It, it's all a picture. And so, no, you can't build me a house of cedar. Because that ruins the picture of what my son's going to do later on. You need to see this. It needs to be stable and stay there. And so there's that great picture. And so he says, I I never asked you to build this. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, if we're going to talk about stuff, let's talk about what I've done for you. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a man like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall uh, the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. And furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. I'm going to build you one, David, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, Solomon, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you, Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. I appreciate what your thoughts are there, Nathan, David, but it's about me building you right now. It's not about you trying to build me, and you can't. You just can't. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? You know, there ain't enough trees in the world. And, and that's a good thing for us to know. There's not enough trees in the world to build him a house. It's beautiful. Now, he's not mad, like I said. He's bringing him down. David, don't you understand that I, you were the least. David knew that about himself, but just a reminder, you were the least in your family's house. And the father said, you had all the junky jobs at home. You know, you're the youngest. And I took you out of all that and made you king over all of Israel. And I do that. 
I just, I just do that, you know. And it wasn't because you were that great little boy or whatever. I just chose you and picked you and decided to do this. And David understands that. And so it says in verse, and we'll make the segue here in a minute. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So David went in and sat before the Lord. Hmm. Those are the moments we need to have with God. Everybody needs to have those times. We're not asking, we're not telling, we're not recalling, we're not promising, we're not complaining, whatever it is that we do, but we just sit before the Lord and we just receive from him. When you just sit there and you realize all that he's done for you and you look back at your life and you say, I know who I was. Say, I know who I am. And we all know who we really are. The rest of the world, we may have uh, built our masks up in such a way or made our persona in such a way that you, you really can't tell that you came from where you came from. But you know you came from there. You know who you were, how you started. And you know where God has brought you to this point. And David's at that place, sitting there as king, remembering that, yeah, I was just a shepherd boy. And he went in and he sat before the Lord. He said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? You're right. This is huge. What a gap. What a difference. And yet this was a small thing in your sight. This was easy. O God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree. Oh, Lord God, I'm not a man of high degree is what he's getting at. But you regard me like I'm a man of high degree. That's, that's amazing. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. Oh, Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness and making known all these great things. Although there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. David's just kind of, it's, it's gelling with him for the first time, maybe. You just, you, just, you just grabbed me, and you just, you're just doing stuff with me. I think about Caleb, uh, my grandson. He likes to take his Hot Wheels or his cars, and he gets eye level, and he likes to watch the wheels go, you know, and smash into stuff or talk about bad guys and, you know, doing whatever with this car, you know. But Caleb's doing all that. The car's not doing any of it. He's just using the car to ram the bad guys into and to park. And then he does something and he moves it around some more kind of thing, you know? And not that it's insignificant or that we're inanimate objects like a car, but for the most part, that's my walk with Jesus. Not anything special about me. He just placed his hand on me and he just starts doing stuff with me. You know? I'm gonna make him go through the Red Sea. Push cool, you know, and just keeps doing stuff. But when his hands remove, we're just lost, you know, and David's starting to pick that up. Man, I was just out there with the sheep, watching sheep, and you plucked me up, and you may be a musician, and then you put me in front of that giant Goliath guy, and I took him out, and I had to dodge some spears from Saul, and run around, and killed some Philistines, and did some awesome things there, and God's just been doing this with David's life, you know. And David's just acknowledging it. 
You placed your hand upon my life. You put your hand upon the nation of Israel, and you're just doing stuff so that the world might see who you are. You just needed someone to put your hands on. And he accepts that. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you have said. I accept, I'd love to see Solomon, or whoever, he doesn't know at the time, but Solomon build that temple. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever. In other words, I'm glad that you chose me. I'm glad you picked my, my kids, but I hope it's to bring your name and make it magnified forever. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O oh my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. And now, O oh Lord, two most important verses of the day. And now, O oh Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. Now you've been pleased and to, to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it. O oh Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. It seems like a typical, yeah, 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 goodbye kind of thing, like a salutation or something, and it's not. This is David receiving God's grace with grace. He's graciously receiving God's grace. I was going to do all these great things. I was going to, I had all these great ideas. God says, I don't think you you can do all those great ideas. In fact, I don't want you to. I want you to sit before me, David, and just receive it. Just receive my grace. That is easier said than done for us, to just receive God's grace. Just take it. Well, okay, ever try to slip someone 20 bucks or help them out here or do something for them there? And what's our, what's our Midwestern response? No, 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 no. Just take it. No, 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 no. And we got to put up the fight. And I don't know what it is for your family. Or I think I did two or three times. And then finally they say, well, th- well, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Be different. Just snatch it out of their hand. <laughs> I just want to help you. Thanks. <laughs> Needed that. No. You understand what I'm getting at. It's hard for us to just receive and we need to learn this, and I learned this, or, or am learning this, you know, not attained, but getting there, because I put up the fight too. It's almost like it's required, because if you don't put up the fight, they think, well, mm, you know, so you put up the fight a little bit. I'll let you buy me lunch, that's fine. Not today, though, I got stuff going on. Um, you cannot, you know how it says, blessed are the... Uh, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? And so we always try to get in on the giving side. But if nobody receives, there's no giving. It's just how it is. Those, those two things have to happen at the exact same time for the blessing to be there. There has to be somebody to receive. Has to be. Or you cannot give. So I have a God, and you have a God who loves you with an everlasting love, who wants to give you grace and give you mercy. And for me to sit back and to say, like David was kind of saying, no, 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 no. Let me do something for you. You've got to just take it. And I say, because he's been here the whole time with us in this room, snatch it out of his hand. I want to give you grace. I want to give you forgiveness. Ooh, I'll take that all day long. 
put that in my pocket. Forgiveness? Yes, please. You know, can I buy you an ice cream? You really can't buy me anything. I'm really rich, God says. Okay, well, thanks. Thank you. And he's blessed. How do I, how do I bless my God? If, if it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, how do I bless him? Receive it. Just receive it from him. Take it and thank him. I mean, it's always good to thank someone for that, but let's be a blessing to God this week. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, I thank you personally for these beautiful two chapters. As it's been rough and our world is rough and life is rough. And yet David, in the midst of all this, writes this beautiful song to you brings it back home to reality and help us to be reminded of our reality that it isn't about what's going on right now, but it's about eternity with you to sing songs to you, to glory in you, to thank you for all you've done and to to just receive everything you have for us. And we'll do our best um, to be gracious receivers of all that you have for us. Um, That's all you've ever asked. You, You, you always you want the world to receive forgiveness from you, and many won't. God, help us to share this good news with them. There's no earning. There's nothing we could do to earn it. We couldn't be good enough. We can't undo past mistakes and sins, but we can receive what you have for us as our first act of obedience and as our first act of worship to you. Help us to receive your grace graciously. In Jesus' name. Amen.